0: Tonight on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, Cooking with the Daleks. Enjoy the recipe that will exterminate your species.
1: Saturday We will begin in massive invasion'
2: We will tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your maker's duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, as we will give you witchcraft.
1: You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
0: Five by Saturday night.
1: In 2019, the Area 51 recordings of Sci-Fi Saturday Night have been enhanced with riboflavin and seven essential audio nutrients to help augment your listening experience. Tonight, in episode 404, we look back at the great excitement of listening to people talk whilst wondering, did I just taste peppermint in this book? Interesting, you say? Perhaps. Candy floss for the years? Most definitely. On staff for tonight's podcast our taciturn technical trouble wrangler sitting in the sci-fi Saturday night gaming pavilion in Elbdesk, Criada. (laughs) And no crickets but the boing. Perfect. Also reference librarian to robots and other non-human sentience with her newest degree in cryptonumasmatism, it's Zombrarian.
2: I'm also reading a book about why you shouldn't eat radium.
1: It it sounds like, you know, obviously, but clearly not.
2: You want to hear the coolest gross thing that's happened so far?
1: A lip fell off.
2: No, even better. Okay. <laughs> the dentist was feeling along her jaw, like feeling along where he had extracted teeth, and her jawbone came out through her.
1: No, throat. no. Oh, yuck. Yuck. Uh, this
2: is a true story, by the way. True.
1: That's just gross. Yep. Well, I was I was actually reading something about when x-ray machines first came out and they used to have them in shoe stores. Yep. So you would you would go in, put your feet in the x-ray machine, they would x-ray the hell out of your feet and then decide what shoes fit best for you, not having any idea what a maximum dosage should or must be.
2: Oh, yeah. They used to like cook people with x rays.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: Because they were like, okay, well, the longer the exposure, the better. The picture! The picture. So we'll just leave this on them for like an hour. Oh, Lord. And and
1: they those were, like, are the yeah. oddest things. Yeah. They have Wonder turns.
2: Why this- That's weird. Oh, well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, just a guy with no hair and a surly attitude. to stood- Yeah, you know, I wrote the new script and then I probably didn't rehearse it enough. Let me try that one again. I'm your host, just a guy with no hair and a surly attitude towards mediocrity, The Dome. Uh, I don't know if that's going to stick or not, but I I just kind of liked that when I wrote it last week. So we'll see what happens. Our guest tonight um, is, as most guests have been lately, a friend of a friend um and and how this usually happens is i end up at a, a at a convention at this particular one was plastic city and karen our good friend karen goslin grabs me and goes you've got to meet this guy and then cameron goes i'll take you to him to which i replied i already walked past his booth twice and i really like his stuff but now that I've got you guys talking about him, let's go meet him. Uh, joining the show tonight, Scott Walkup. Scott, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Don.
1: Now, it. for everybody out there who knows that I butcher every name in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Every freaking name that could possibly be butchered, including Smith on one occasion. Scott's last name there's absolutely no resemblance to the way that it's pronounced.
0: <clears throat> that that is correct. It's um <laughs> it's uh <laughs> I, I have I have there's one person in my life that I met who pronounced it right the first time and that was a linguistics teacher who knew the origin of it, which is Scottish. And yeah, it looks like Watchhope and it sure does. In high school. That was that was <laughs> what everybody called me was Watchopey or Watchhope, And uh yeah, the, the walk-up is probably not even accurate. The walk-up is probably the, you know, American kind of Anglicized version of whatever it was originally in Gaelic, or Gallic, I guess. But
1: It's what you've yeah. chosen, and I got it right the first damn time. I, I give you a lot of credit, and I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, when we met at... It at
2: won't Planet happen City again, though.
0: No, it won't. You're <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> I appreciate not you in th- that one
2: it- chance on me. <laughs> yeah, in this in this episode, he will say it wrong at least once. <laughs> right. Just because well, I'm making him nervous right now.
1: Probably right, damn you. <laughs> 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 so when we met at Plastic City, uh, you were there at at a very odd place, not really in Artist Sally. Uh, actually, much closer to the the people that they think of at the very last minute like me uh, out, out in the upper area uh, but you had your very typical artist's alley setup of mm-hmm. here's here's me doing this guy here's me doing that guy and we we didn't talk about that at all we, we right. talked about a, a project that you were doing and just in, in the middle of putting together and it it was your passion project yeah and that that passion project ended up being doctor the who and the lost imagination correct
0: yes i um yeah i think i was not even i had barely anything drawn Oh, no, you when, had not when i talked I, to you right. some sketches maybe and that was kind of it
1: kind of like concepts um and we were talking about what you were going to do and why you were going to do it and how you were going to do it. And I'm looking at these pictures of, like, uh, uh, Harley Quinn and, and Batman and, you know, the the normal kind of uh, generic Artist Alley Fair. Oh, sure.
0: Yeah. The
1: yeah, it's, that's where everybody yeah. makes theirs. In fact, I believe I bought something from you for that. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. I think I did a didn't I do a Green Lantern commission? You did, in fact, for Cameron, for a friend of right? Me. Yeah. No, no, no. That that was. In wasn't fact, for Cameron. Oh, that was for Doctor K, uh, oh, okay. who is was one of the original founders of this show. Who oh, okay. every time I go to a convention, he says, "Hey, can you see if you can find me something cool?" So. <laughs> I got him an original oh, right, from you, it. and he thought, that, he thought that was pretty damn cool, to be honest with you. Thank you. So, Thank you. we talked about this project. Uh, it was, at that point, actually an unnamed project. It was a Doctor Who kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, why are you doing this? Because um, it didn't seem to bear much relationship to the other stuff that you had at that point?
0: No, not really. No.
1: <laughs> um, no, I, so,
0: uh, so the premise, you want to hear, I guess I'll. Well, I'll let's, let's, let's start,
1: let's start yeah. this way. Yeah. Why does, why does this book exist? Why did this book for you, need and it's, by the way, for the listeners out there, We'll have links to how to get it and everything else. And you're going to see some pictures. It's kind of a graphic novel book. Mm, but yeah. why, why did this book need to exist?
2: Story Where time, story time. We love story time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I had non draft old
1: You're going to be great tonight.
2: <laughs> I'm awesome. <laughs> uh,
0: well, let's see. So. Uh, all right, how to make this short. I became Father, just give me the story. <laughs> giant... All right, all right, there you go. I I the funny thing is is I have become super obsessed with Doctor Who in the past like 5 years. Be- before that, I I didn't even know Doctor Who really at all. I think I had literally the my most experience with it was the TV movie with the 8th Doctor. Ah.
1: um
0: which I remember, but that's about it. Um and then I started getting into it um about five years ago and just you know binged it and became it became kind of my newest thing uh i got my wife into it she kind of convinced me to go back and start kind of watching it from the beginning not not the classics we're just trying to get into the classics now um but starting with the night doctor and things and because my thing was i started with matt smith the fifth season um so but what happened was we kept talking about it and my wife really got into it she didn't really know about it before then either and the next thing we know, we start talking about it a lot in front of my two kids. And so if this was a couple of years ago, my son Alex would have been about five or six. And he kept asking us about it. And we were like, oh, well, you know, it's called Doctor, Doctor Who. And, and my wife showed him, like, the opening credits, and he just was so fascinated by it. Um, and then we said, well, you know, I've, I've met... Um, and at the time, I had just started doing, um, you know, a few years earlier than that, the Comic-Con scene... And I'd met little kids, you know, seven, eight, nine, who had watched Doctor Who. And so I thought, well, you know, I bet my son could watch it. And so we, we thought about joining to him. And then he just happened to come down one night while we were watching an episode. Anybody who knows the new series of Doctor Who, there's an episode called The Long Game, which is like the second to last episode of the first season. It involves this game show that's supposed to be like The Weakest Link, and it has this robot that's supposed to be like the host of Weakest Link. It's it's not remotely scary, except that it scared my son. He walked in on the room and, and saw oh, the thing talking. Oh,
2: false! It is so scary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the android. And
2: is, it, slight spoiler.
0: That's true. Well, no, no, but even my, but that here's the thing. My son didn't see that part. He literally oh. just saw the robot and was scared of the robot. Which I, of course, was like, no, like that's not even a Dalek. Like that's literally like the least scary thing I've seen on Doctor Who. So basically my son like went to bed and we had to like tuck him in and he said that robot was really scary. And so my wife and I said, well, he obviously cannot watch Doctor Who just yet because if he can't take an android, he's not going to be able to take a, you know, a a weeping angel or most, almost, almost any episode. So... God help him when he meets Peter
1: Cavaldi for the first time, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, or the mummy, right. So so what I think it was just one night my wife and I were talking and I was like, I wish that there was, there was sort of like some kids related, like, and I knew that there was a, the canine like TV show out there, but I didn't even know how to find it to show my kid. So I just said, you know, I could just write, like I could write like a fun, maybe like a kid's version of Dr. Who. It would just be like a story and it would be like a Dr. Who story, but, but super kid friendly. And, kind of randomly, I just said, Hey, you know what? I could make them like a bear, like a teddy bear. And that would be just kind of funny and be really cute for little kids. And so that's, that was the origin of it was kind of coming up with this concept of, of some kind of like illustrated children's book that would kind of tell a story about, you know, and, and you'd make the companion, a young kid. Um, and then from there, I it was actually at Vermont Comic Con a couple of years ago that I went out to eat after one of the sh- one of the nights, I think it was Saturday night, and I was hanging out with uh, some people you know probably know, like Keith Gleason and Jay Moores and Oh Matt God, Herrian. what a
1: bunch of do Duels. Yeah, you, My <laughs> you know <goodness>. this. <laughs> uh, and of course Matt
0: Harrien was there, who was like, you know, well, geez, you know, I I I, I obviously know plenty about Doctor Who. And I started talking to them about the idea and saying, you know, and I, I thought like I could make the kid like a young kid. And I, start, I started kind of talking to them and we spent like about a half hour talking about the book and, and kind of like I kind of figured out the plot while I was talking to them and saying, you know, we can make it like that there's a kid and he kind of loses his imagination for some reason. And then the doctor has to like show up and help him find it. And the doctor, for some reason, is a teddy bear. And I hadn't, at the time, figured out why he hesitated there. It wasn't until I started really working on the book that I figured that out. But, um, you know, and so that that became the premise of the book. The Over time, it, it initially started off as it was going to be like one solid book that was like, you know, maybe 30 pages and heavily illustrated. You know, virtually no dialogue is going to be very just description-based, very much for like five, six-year-olds. The problem was that it took me so long to kind of really get into it that my son grew up, you know, and he started reading the magic tree house books. And I was like, well, if that's kind of the books that he likes now, I should probably write it more like those. So make it a little more, not mature, but, uh, you know, slightly even less kids, you know, kid like. Um, and so the more I worked on it over the past two years, the more I, the more the story kind of developed and, the more it became an, an idea of, well, you know, maybe it'll be like a, you know, 80 page book and maybe a hundred page book. And, and of course now it's more like, you know, I decided, well, I'll split it and make it a bunch of little books instead. Um, and that's, that's what it is now. Um, and as far as like you considering a graphic novel, I, I I definitely think that applies because I, I'm putting as much artwork into it as possible. Um, I am a little more dependent on my artwork than I am on my writing, because I don't know how good of a writer I am, but I, I'm pretty confident in my art. So I figured if I put enough artwork in it, the kids will like it'. Um, but, well you
1: see, if, if yeah. you're going to call it a graphic novel, and I think you do in this case, uh, yeah. it's not necessarily a standard graphic novel, which is a, a, a softbound. Comic book Right, yeah, there's no In this case, it's a right. novel With graphics But there's yeah. enough graphics within the Context of this first one To make you kind of go uh, This is very different from what We normally see And I mm. think it's a great thing that, that it's done the way it's done And I really like the way It looks I mean, okay. when Good. when we talked About it at Plastic City, we we talked about a couple of things about it, uh, and and I had kind of some idea what I thought it was going to look like based on your other drawings, and I was mm-hmm. wrong. Uh, I was dead <laughs> wrong. You you took a very different approach with this, and it's it's I think very very original and very different from what I had expected, which I think is wonderful, quite frankly. Oh, well, thank you. Good. Um, so, and and then as, as we were talking about this, you had said you want uh, to benefit the Epilepsy Foundation.
0: Right. Correct. Yeah. Because when I was working on the book and I kept thinking – I'll, I'll just self, you know, there was a an inkling, you know, like a week maybe where I thought to myself, oh, I'll try to pitch it to BBC Books, who owns the rights to any Doctor Who books. And I, and then I just thought, you know, this seems too far-fetched to be something that they would pick up. It's, it's too, um, different, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just that it's most books that are Doctor Who based are kind of, they're basically like really, really good fan fiction. They're stories about the Doctor taking place kind of between episodes, you know, seven and eight of season. Right. Later, I don't think you could call them fan
1: fiction in any way, shape, or form.
0: Right. And and so for me, I thought, well, I'm, I'm doing something a little more original, and I, I don't, you know, like I said, I don't mean that in a negative way. To the other books, they're obviously well done, um, but I just thought it didn't seem like something they'd be interested in. And I also thought, you know, realistically, it could take years before I could get it in the door and have somebody read it. So I just thought, well, you know what? I'll just self-publish it. And then I kind of had a lot of different ideas of like how to do it when I self-publish it and, and give it away <laughs> with copies of fan art or something like that. Or would I, you know, sell it for just the cost that it costs to print, that kind of thing. And, and then I think I just eventually came to the conclusion, you know, well, what if I just sold it for charity instead and then donated all the money? Um, and so that became, you know, the, the end result was I said, you know what, I'll just, I'll, I'll make the book, I'll self publish it, but then I'll, I'll just print it and sell it online at comic cons and all the money will get donated to a charity. And then it took no time at all for my wife to suggest, well, we should probably make an epilepsy foundation. And I said, okay, that's, that's a very good idea, you know, and then, and then it allows it at least for the book to be for a specific charity like that can kind of tie tie into a specific charity. Um, and I've gotten asked this, if the book has anything to do with epilepsy, technically, it, it, the story does not. That's uh, the clearly the next not. question, yeah. and the answer is yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. No, because like, when the concept was originated, it wasn't even a thought that it was going to be some kind of charity thing. I really thought it was going to be something I was just going to produce for myself. I didn't write it with that in mind. It just became that that was the charity that's, you know, on the back cover for something, you know, wh- whenever, it, whenever copies are sold, it is, it, the money either goes to one of various Epilepsy Foundations, which they're actually... There's, you know, Epilepsy National, and then there's Apple, Epilepsy New England, and things like that. It, it depends upon the show.
2: Unaware. And, you know, so, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah,
0: so that, that became the whole concepts and, and the, the kind of the way that I, I feel guiltless in saying, well, I'm, I'm creating and I'm, you know, I have no problem admitting that it's it's not like fan art. There is a, there's a, there's a whole debate about fan art, but to me, there's, there's really no debate when you make a book based on intellectual property and sell it to me, that's kind of crossing a line if you're trying to make money off of it. And so to me, that's my take on that is then you don't do that. you, you find a way that, to either make it so you're not making any money off of it, or you know even better, you find a good use for that money. And I don't think if BBC Books ever found out that I was doing this, they would care. I'm sure that they would say, oh, well, he's raising money for something good, so we're not going to give him a big, you know. And I'm not selling millions of copies of it, so I
1: don't, I don't worry too much about you're it. You're not selling mil- millions of copies yet. Right. But you're on Sci-Fi well, yeah. Saturday night now. And our ten <laughs> viewers are gonna. I mean, I mean, our the millions of bombs. listeners. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the next time we bumped into each other was at Vermont Comic Con last year, mm-hmm. and the book was ready. Right. Now. Right. The book was the talk of the convention. You realize? Well, I appreciate that. that's that's.
0: I, I am glad that people felt like they way.
1: You know, what's really
0: sad, however, is that I sold I sold a, a good amount of copies that weekend. That was the first you know that was the first time I was selling it. Mm-hmm. And the one person who bought it and then came back to give feedback and say how much they liked it, I wasn't there. My wife was there, manning <laughs> the table, and I got back and she's like, Oh my gosh, somebody who bought it yesterday came back to to tell you how much she loved it. She loved it. And I was like. Oh man, that would have been my first, that would have been my first feedback ever, you know, but, um, it's fine. I've gotten enough positive feedback in
1: other ways. The interesting thing for me watching, watching this happen, because we were actually on the same floor about two rows away from each other. And the first thing I did when I saw you there was go buy a copy of the book.
0: You, you were, I believe, and I think I might have posted this, you were, I believe, the first person to buy a copy of it. <laughs> I think so. So I, I I very much appreciated that. I think it was before and the show even
1: started. I think it was. And the yeah. first thing that I did was when we got our table set up, I actually just laid it out on the table, on mm-hmm. our table next to our books. And people right. would come by and go, well, that looks interesting. What is that? And I would tell them where to go and how to pick it up. And, and right. they yeah, got to look at it and stuff. And then they would come back to me and go, "This is really, really cool," and the the thought for me was, "Well, yes, and it's really doing something good at the same time, which is a a, a wonderful thing. That doesn't happen very often, <laughs> right? Something's of yeah, good, people yeah. like it, and it's doing a good thing, right?
0: Yeah, and I mean that's and uh, um, it's the book basically led, as far as being doing a good thing goes, the book led to me turning my entire, um, uh, you know, basically from what you saw, me doing my typical type of uh, fan art table, you know, which I always had fun doing. and was always good. I took the book as an excuse to turn my entire table into a charity based table. And now that's going forward. Most of the shows I'll be doing, you know, I'll have what's called my, my TARDIS table and I'm going to basically just sell all Dr. Who related stuff, um, you know, with my book there, but also, you know, actually other, other art, including um, Karen Goslin. She donated some Dr. Who stuff to me uh, to sell at the table, which was nice. Very so, cool. And it gives me kind of an excuse to, to stick with Dr. Who. It, it kind of keeps me going on the book and it, and it kind of gives me an excuse to do as much Doctor Who fan art as I want without feeling like I'm spending all my time on one thing, you know? <laughs> and I could just kind of say, well, I've had all these ideas for Doctor Who art I want to do, you know, but I've I kept pulling back and saying, well, I can't have all Doctor Who stuff. But now I can. So it's kind of
1: my <laughs> <laughs> Okay. One slight criticism, and it's more my fault oh, sure. than yours. Uh, I had just seen a week before Vermont Comic-Con, Ted, oh. the movie. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. You're not the first person that's mentioned this. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I think it was actually the second movie. And and I I just absolutely loved it. But yeah. then I looked at the cover and I went, oh, please, dear God, don't let it be that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if Well, okay, y- you want a worse... No, 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 That. Yeah. The only reference is that there have been more like, there's been a couple people who have said, it's kind of like Dr. Who as if he was Ted. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Cause it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's nothing like Ted, but he looks like a very typical teddy bear. As far as like not, not including the clothes. Right, exactly. Stuff, but he looks like a tech. And, and also the size of him is about the same as Ted. Where he's kind of a big teddy bear, you know, he's like, you know, two and a half feet tall or so. So it, it I, I see the, um, now that is not as bad as the other thing that I found out while writing this book, which was that if you look up the character, the, the little kid in the book, who's 10, his name's Sidney Moon, right? And if you read the book, you'll see that Sidney Moon isn't actually his name. It's just kind of the name. His first name's Sidney, for obvious reasons, anybody who knows Dr. Who, but the, you know, the doctor kind of names him Sidney Moon if you look up Sydney Moon on the internet, and I found this out after I did a lot of the artwork, and, and just uh, apparently Sydney Moon is a um, model
1: slash actress. Oh, oh no. Who no, no! no, does certain no.
0: kinds of things and movies? No, 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 no. So yeah, so it's a it's a girl, and she, she I don't I don't know where I've ne- I'd never heard of her before that. Obviously, I wouldn't name the character that. But I, <laughs> as far as funny things that people might connect. I, it's fine though. I just, I, I just said, you know what? I, I thought about changing his name and I'm like, you know what? I had never heard of this actress before this. I'm not going to worry too much about it. And I just went, went, a uh, uh, full forward <laughs> and just said, forget about it. And same with the Ted thing, right? You know, I thought, yeah, people might think it's fine. No, I'm just going to, uh, barrel forward and, and keep going. Cause I had thought about making him smaller or bigger. And then I thought right. if he's too big, it, it becomes like a Muppet. And if it's too small, it, it just becomes kind of odd where he's this tiny little thing running around. So I had to make him a kind of a decent size, you know. So,
1: so this year for the convention season, uh, which is getting longer and longer each year now,
2: mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. <laughs> can oh,
1: we assume The Man with the Million Minds is ready? It should
0: be. Yeah, that's that's the second book I am i'm writing it i've i've done a lot of rough art on it uh i'm i'm i guess i'm about where i was when i probably met you at plastic city right so <laughs> it's, it's it, the problem the biggest problem is that i i know what the plot is i know what the story is um
1: the thing is is that
0: each each book is going to be made up of like three chapters the idea right. being that that about eight books will add up to like one kind of story right so hopefully by like the eighth book, basically I'll I'll kind of end the plot of where Sydney's imagination
1: has gone. And that'll kind of end that
0: story. And then I'll kind of oh, be able to so collect that, them all as the, like one collection.
1: Then Sydney's going to carry through all, all all the books.
0: Yes. And and I have concepts for further stories that would still involve Sydney, but it would be after the plot of his lost imagination is kind of gone. You know, which, you know, it's it's similar i mean you could say it's similar to like if anybody knows the story of clara in the doctor Who's universe Mm -hmm. she's kind of this big thing and then there's the plot that kind of shows why she's a big part of the story but then she's still on the show for another couple of seasons and it doesn't it doesn't stop her from being the kid and it's the same with sydney i i want to continue on with sydney and the doctor as being this pair um but I have other ideas beyond uh, this. But, But each, each short book is about three chapters. And I know exactly what the third chapter is in the second book, but the other two chapters I have written and rewritten about three, four times now where I keep coming up with better scenarios. You know, I keep kind of critiquing it and looking at it and saying, well, Actually, it would be a lot better if I did this. And that, that works out really well I'm great, except that it means I have to rewrite the entire two chapters I've written so far. Um, and so I keep coming to that. But I'm, no matter what, I'm going to push it to the point where I'm, I'm going to have it done, I believe I may. That's kind of the plan, You know, late April, early May. That's, I'll miss a couple of shows before that. Um, but to be honest, I've only had the actual
1: first book at about three shows so right, right, right so it, it, you know i i could because vermont was towards the end of the, the season last year
0: yeah and i mean i only i only had it at um i had at rhode island comic-con and i had it at, like, like i think one other show and that's about it so if i don't have the second book done right away it's it's not such a big deal because most people won't won't know the book at all until they meet me at a convention in the spring anyway um Mind you. So the only
1: the only one that's going to bitch and complain is me, is what you're saying. Yeah, God. basically. Yeah, but <laughs> but if it makes you feel better, I'm
0: I'm really rushing to get the second book done because, uh, as much as I'm proud of the first book, it's 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 nothing but a primer to the series. It's 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 a prologue. All it does is kind of introduce you to the two characters. There's not much of a plot, and so I really wanted to have that first book. Um, complete and have you you know so that way when i get to the second episode slash book i can just jump right into what would be a typical doctor who plot and so i'm i'm much more excited to get the second episode done so that way when i you know when i pitch it to people who don't know it, i can say you know if you really want you you know i'll, I'll, I'll really kind of push the idea that you should get both books because the first book is really just the primer and the second book will really show you what the series is going to be like you know, um, so it, having knowing that really pushes me to try to get that second book done, because i I, I know that that 's what i 'll be more excited to to tell people about
1: so I guess it, it means that your process <clears throat> has really changed from being just an artist to now right. being an artist slash writer and dividing your your uh, your talent between the written word and the visual image and, and then molding them together in a way that makes sense to keep the linear plot across eight books, which is 24 chapters of work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which that it, sounds it, like it, fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps that, it helps that unlike... Like when you get into a project like this, it's very easy to sort of know where you're going to start and not know where it's going. Luckily for me, when I had initially conceived of this, like I said, it was going to be one book. So I already know where the plot's going. Like I already know the end of the whole Last Imagination storyline. So it's not as hard for me to, to get through. It. I mean, getting from here to there is another question, of course, but at least I, I already have a map. You know, I have a, or well, maybe I don't have a map so much as I, I already know where the end of the map is, <laughs> but at least that's, that helps me a lot because it, I, I can map out between here and there and figure out, okay, well, I know exactly how I need, how I know exactly where I need to go. It's how I need to get there. And luckily between here and there, I, I can have a lot of fun with doing a lot of very doctor who stuff having Did tons you of know... little plots and things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did you know you could write? I don't know that I can write
0: still. I, I <laughs> the, 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 here's the thing. The, the, the thing is, is when I, I had always wanted to write, like I was, I was the very typical um, kid who wanted to write in illustrate. Well, no, initially I wanted to draw comics back in high school then I became much more interested in writing comics, and then came the '90s, and I got out of comics and totally changed venues. Went to like the idea of like writing movies, things like that. Um, and so I I diverged from that over and over, but it was always for me. It was always I always wanted to create stories. I always wanted to write stories. I have dozens of concepts for other books and comics and things I'd love to do. Um, but the thing is, is like in the past few years, I've, I've grown significantly as an artist and I can, you know, I can go back even just three or four years. And even, even with my fan art and look at some of my original pictures from fan art and say, yeah, those are okay, but I can do way better than that now. And I don't have that confidence with my writing because for the past few years, I haven't really been writing very much. So I can't, I can't look back on, I mean, I can look at a screenplay I wrote when I was like 20 and and say, well, that's terrible, obviously. Um, but I don't, I can't, you know, and, and to be honest, I spent a lot of time trying to create stuff over the past few years and it was always in a vacuum and it was always like, I'll, I'll get it done and I'll write it and then I'll print it and then I'll do it. And that's great. And then I wouldn't get feedback until after it was all done. And that, that was a problem. You know, as any anybody who's a writer knows that they. In fact, some friends friends of yours, HB Comics. I've talked to them and Chris and um, his brother. If I'm blanking. The Heberts. You know what I'm talking about, right?
2: We may have lost Dome. Yes, I was oh, waiting for Dome.
1: Just we... <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm back. like oh,
2: Chris and Scott,
0: right? Christmas, right. back, Hebert. Yes, yeah. I met them year, years and years and years ago before I had tried to do really anything. And I went to some Comic-Con in Boston, like before the Boston Comic-Con was huge. And I actually remember meeting them and both of them talking to me about writing, illustrating comics and saying, well, we tend to take turns. One of us will write, the other one will illustrate it. And, they, and I remember them giving some advice, which I did not follow for quite a few years, and said, I remember them telling me, get a lot of feedback get a lot of people reading your stuff as you're doing the, the drafts and also like, don't, which is what you're kind of joking about. Don't write and illustrate your book at, you know, at the <laughs> same time, <laughs> which I, I fully admit now I, I kind of know that's, that's, it, it sometimes is better if I draw for somebody else or if I write something and then have somebody else I know illustrated with the Dr. Who book, I, I kind of know that's my baby and it's really hard for me to want to have somebody else do it. So it, it, that's a little different, but, um, but anyway, with this book, what I did was I, I went out of my way to get tons of feedback. And I actually like, I had a, a SurveyMonkey survey and sent it out to like 20 people. And like people that I barely knew, like people I'd met at conventions, like, you know, fans of mine who I knew were Doctor Who fans. And I go, hey, would you like to read a copy of my book that I'm writing and including uh, Paul Hogan, who works for HB, who does HB comics. And he helped a lot. Actually, he, he did a, he, he literally like took a copy of it, printed it out, read, marked it up for me, gave it to me, you know, it was wonderful. Um, and so a lot of people got to read sort of this rough draft, um, that actually included way more than what you've read. It actually included like, um, all the way up to, you know, it, it included way more story than what I have initially published and getting that feedback super helped. And, uh, I think going forward, I think as long as I can get that feedback as I'm going, then, then I'll know where I'm going wrong and where I'm going. Right. Um, and from a technical writing standpoint, I will hopefully learn as I go or, you know, I'll, uh, take some writing courses as I go (laughs) and, and learn what I'm doing wrong. I'm sure 10 years from now or a year from now, I'll look back on this book and say, Hey, I wish I'd done this. I wish I had done that. But, that's every writer i think yeah.
1: i think you're absolutely right and yeah. i also think that uh, a writer's worst critic is his own mind yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah that, that's that's <clears throat> certainly true although, so I, although I, I made there's a there's a caveat to that which is sometimes <laughs> sometimes the worst thing is is when you're not critical enough and when you think your stuff's awesome <clears throat> Right. Because like I've I've written stuff and then like I'll look back on it weeks later and go, that's wicked great. Everyone's going to love that. And or honestly, same with the fan art, too, where I'll do like some of the pieces that I've done fan art wise that I've been super proud of. Nobody buys and nobody cares about like, I'm so like, like I look at it even now, and I'm like, I don't know why nobody loves that. You know, <laughs> so it, it can work both ways. Sometimes, like, you can be way too critical of yourself, and sometimes you're just not nearly objective enough to, to see why something I, I doesn't think work. Maybe
1: the, you know? the caveat <laughs> has to be there if they're being honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, and, and sometimes it takes those people looking outside in. Um when you write do you write mm-hmm. with the pictures in your head or do um, you write and then the pictures come afterwards you know in this for this book it's a little it's a little different where i
0: my initial draft of this of the of the story i i can't i do outline but they're very rough and then i feel I'm the type of writer who kind of has to write with the words and the dialogue there. And if I end up deleting all of it that I've written, that's fine. But it, I have to, I have to visually see the story step-by-step step. for this particular project, because it's not fully illustrated, like a, like a comic would be, I kind of have to like, see as I'm writing and, and think to myself, well, is that, is that a picture? Is that an, is, is that one of the pictures I have to draw? Like, do I want to have this reveal on this particular paragraph be, a, be the next page, uh splash page, right? Or, you know, is it just going to be a little corner shot that just shows kind of the doctor making a face? You know, is it, and so I, I tend to write it first and I'm visualizing the entire time, but then it's, it's, it's a funny thing where I have to go back and start picking and choosing like, well, what, what's going to be illustrated? Like, I know that I'm going to show that. I know that I'm going to show this, you know, the when Sydney enters the TARDIS for the first time, I know I'm going to show that big splash page. Right. But other than that, like what else am I going to show? You know? Um, so, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's very interesting because this is actually the first book I've ever done like this, where it's a book that is illustrated, but not a comic book or not full prose. And so it's a, it's a, you know, with comics, it's almost easier because you know you're going to be showing everything. Um, but I guess to answer your question, to, to a certain degree, no matter what, I visualize the whole thing. You know, I'm visualizing every beat. And it, it's almost harder for me to say, well, I have to kind of carve that visual out because I'm not going to be able to show all of that. Like this, there's this one paragraph that kind of describes this little thing. I'm not going to be able to draw that. I have to. Describe it as best I can, and that's that's something that's a. It's actually very. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you've ever had anybody talk about this before, but something specific to children's books and books that are illustrated, that they have to. They kind of have to be written as if there isn't going to be artwork, even if you're going to have tons of artwork.
1: Nice. No, I didn't know that.
0: Well, that's just something I've. I've. I don't know if it's a rule, but I've always noticed it. because when it comes to the types of, well, Magic Treehouse is kind of an example or other books of that, of that kind where they are a book, but they just happen to have artwork in it to kind of emphasize things like here's a really cool shot and we're going to show it. But they aren't written with the artwork in mind. And that's, that is purposely how I'm trying to write the book. So I'm almost trying to write the book as if I'm not going to illustrate it at all. And then going back and saying, it'll be really cool if I show that particular monster or that particular sequence, you know, or that particular facial expression from Sydney. Right. It's like, those are the kind of like, that's where I come back to kind of emphasize. Um, and it, that, that works out really nicely because it allows me to kind of say, okay, well that, that, that'll work really well. Cause that'll punch that. That'll punch up when that, that page turn, you know, the per- person's going to turn the page and there's going to be a giant monster that works really nicely, not just as a, as a statement, but I can punch it up with the art, you know? So.
1: So when you
0: it, go it's something to I'm still learning.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, clearly. And I mean, uh, yeah. as, as long as you're still learning, that means yeah. that there's still more stuff for you to do. And that's what right. makes this really great. Um, yeah. When you're when you're at conventions this year, is your booth going to be uh, all uh, for charity? Are you going to have some of your uh, fan art there as well? It, well,
0: <laughs> actually, both. Um, I found this was something interesting. At Rhode Island Comic Con. Um, this is a little you know um, inside baseball kind of thing. But if you're a charity and you want to get a free table at a convention, for instance. Um, obviously that's the way you want to go. You don't want to have to pay to get a table at a convention. Um, so, but it's something like Rhode Island Comic-Con. I, I'm not the kind of, my table isn't the kind of table that they give out for free because I'm mm-hmm. not bringing something. And that's something I, I really learned from, um, from Matt Herring and Jay Moore. They, they talked to me a lot about that. I was like, well, um, and also the uh, what is it, the montreal x i i really talked to them a lot about about this stuff and they were and they, an they, interesting they, group weren't they they they're <laughs> they're fun they're a lot of fun and uh and i talked to the to logan there and he uh, basically like he said well the thing is is like when you're when you're trying to get a table at a convention and your table's going to be for charity like you have to kind of offer the convention something and i have things that i want to offer to conventions i can't offer like a group of cosplayers you know although at rhode island comic-con i actually had somebody volunteer to help me it was a a girl named veronica who um she's been one of my oldest fans she actually has bought a bunch of my uh, original fan art from me um and so when i heard she also has epilepsy you know, I talked to her, I was like, Oh, would you like to, would you be interested in helping me out with this? And so she volunteered and, and, and spent a day with me and she did cosplay as she dressed up, she made like a, a ball gown, a TARDIS ball gown. And um, so I mean having stuff like that, but I can't guarantee that. So what I'm trying to offer conventions is to say, if you give me a table, I will um, do things like I will make certain to kind of be a hub for all of the artists and artist alley. So I'll go around and get donations to all the artist alley people and have them at my table with their business card. And that way, when people come to my, my table, I can say, Oh, if you like that, he's right over there or she's right over there. And I, I think that will be nice for the artists who are there who might, you know, like the extra promotion. Um, but then also I'm going to produce, um, like uh, you know, I, I can basically offer like a like a promotion to the show and say I can actually produce a whole bunch of prints for you, and give it to you, and it could be whatever you want. I can I can do original art for you that's my own stuff, and it doesn't have to be Doctor Who. It's whatever they want. Um, so that's that's one how I'm trying to get into the shows because I'm I'm a little bit of an amalgam. Um, in the meantime, if I can't get into a show for free but I still want it to be a charity table. My my sort of concept is to, and in fact, this is what I'm actually doing at Kids con in New Hampshire this spring. Um, I actually have gotten two tables, and I'm going to have one table with all my Doctor Who stuff, and then one table with all my fan art. Um, technically, I'm still going to make the whole thing all donation, um, mm-hmm. but it helps me and this is what I did at Rhode Island where I I had my TARDIS table. I had a big setup with all the various doctor who related stuff. Like I made doctor who scarves, you know, I had all the donation art. Um, but then I also had my typical fan art and that, that kind of helps boost the sale a little bit. Um, at, at some shows where, you know, just having a doctor who table might not do as well. Um, and so it's, it's going to depend upon the show. I know for instance, plastic city, i'll be at and it'll just be the tardis table um unless you know the showrunner specifically requests that i also have my normal fan art there um which to be honest that might happen sometimes where they say well that's kind of what some people come to see you for um and if they do then that's that's fine um i don't mind having it there it'll just be it'll just be out with all the other doctor who stuff um but I'm hoping as much as possible to stick to just Doctor Who because I, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a, well, it's just more succinct to have a table that you can say is Doctor Who themed rather than say, oh, it's Doctor Who themed and I also have a bunch of us a fan, aren't there? You know, it's, it's a little easier sell to just say, just have people go over to my table and say if they're Doctor Who fans, go to this table,
1: you know. The unfortunate thing for, uh, for uh, some of your fans is going to be uh, missing that other really nice art of yours. Uh, thanks, and, yeah, and thanks. For, for those of you who want to see it, we're going to provide links to uh, his art page. I'm I'm kind of perusing the Harley Quinn stuff right now. <laughs> that's yeah, that what I the I do. Harley
0: Quinn piece, the Harley Quinn piece is by far my biggest seller. I Harley can Quinn imagine. Lineup. Yeah. It's it, it's and that it's always like, that's not only my biggest seller, but it's, it's, it's like very big on, it's very big on, big on Tumblr and stuff like that, where y- if you just look it up, like you'll find it. And most people don't know who I am or who did the original art. But like, if you just look it up, you, you'll you find it all over the place. And it's always kind of fun. You know, I had, I had one girl come up to me at like Boston comic-con a couple of years ago and and she just all of a sudden stopped at my table and looked at me and she was like some like twelve year old kid and she went, Oh my gosh. And she took out her phone and she's like, That picture's the the background on my phone, you know? <laughs> and I was like, Oh that's awesome. And I actually like took a photo of it and I was like, That's that's really flattering. Thank you. That's really cool. And she's like, I had no idea that you did that. I was like, Well, you wouldn't know me, but I'm glad you like the piece, you know, that's all that matters. Um, yeah, I have a lot of fan art that that I have a lot of well, I shouldn't say I have a lot of fans. I have like a small base of fans that, that always come to see me at certain shows and not all of them are Dr. Who fans, which, you know, that is going to stink for them. Even at Vermont comic-con, I had the, the, the full on TARDIS table. I didn't have my normal art and I actually had a, I did have quite a few of my Vermont fans come up and go like, Oh, it's good to see you. But like, they weren't interested in buying anything Dr. Who or interested in any Dr. Who stuff, you know? And um, that's just, part of the gig though that's fine you know i'll I'll, there's also people who will specifically come up to the table because it's dr who and they won't care about my fan art whatsoever you know and it'll it'll probably break even
1: i think the important thing to remember is that i have some really neat friends who brought you and me together and i'm really glad they did it's been a lot of fun uh Getting to know you, Scott. Getting to know what it is you do, uh, and getting to know all your uh, your uh, very talented and wonderful stuff. Our guest tonight has been Scott Walkup, and I got it right again. See you Thank you. Thank Scott, you Scott, thank for you having. Thank so you for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so the- much. The official podcast. Brandon Con. King Comic Con. City Comic-Con, and The anthology Barnes audio book is now available our For more of his stuff, just look at yeah. <laughs> made me cry. The can be found just made me cry. A big boat well, and still many thanks to the gang from the Buddy Time. To the of Brianna, the of this is Peter, Priyana, This is Dom saying. Enjoy the games. I know.